your hands together for Paul Newnham. Welcome, Paul. Good to have you back here after how long? I was a year I was in Australia. A year last. you're in Australia last, okay. And you connected with us um, really when we first kicked off this community about 12 years ago. So it's been brilliant to see you connecting in and where God has been leading you. And you've been working with World Vision for how long now? 13 years in January. 13 so years, okay. A long time. A long time. So where's some of the places that you've been recently? Ooh. And what's the, the nature of your role now? So I work um, based out of um, Houston, Texas. I work from home, so there's no office there. Um, but I travel mainly for my work. So we work in 110 countries around the world. And for the last little while, I've been focused on Latin America. And so Latin America, Central America, Caribbean. So I've traveled fairly regularly, probably every second week, it feels. Um, well, it's, yeah, it's probably every second week. And then, so I'm in places like Panama, Costa Rica regularly where our office is, but then in Bolivia, Brazil, um, Colombia, Chile, um, Dominican Republic. Um, and I'd like to Honduras, see your passport. I'd like to see your passport just stamped a little bit along there. Now, I have two. You've so. got two, okay. <laughs> and I ask them not to stamp it whenever possible. Okay. Um, and uh, what's the nature of you're not just tripping around having a holiday in those places? What, what's the, the core heart of what you're doing? So I'm working on a project. Um, so most people know what World Vision does, but uh, we work all around the world and um, working in communities, long-term community development. And I, I kind of work in a unique role. It's um, between uh, engaging countries like Australia, where we do a lot of different things around education, advocacy, fundraising, this kind of thing, and then also our programming countries where we, we kind of do um, long-term community development. And so I'm working in a, a role where I try and connect the two. And so I'm working particularly focused on youth, so working on the rough kind of 15 to 24-year-olds and how do we engage with young people in meaningful ways and give them ways to actually participate and become a part of the vision that we have, but also the vision they have for their own community. So it's a lot about empowering them, uh, motivating them, connecting them. Um, we do a lot on social media and on mobile and digital, um, and that's why you can kind of be anywhere, um, but a lot of also going and just connecting with people, encouraging the people in our offices that work that way, on that team and um, helping them to kind of think differently. It's a lot of innovation and thinking how can we, where's the world going and what does that mean for an organisation that's been around 60 years as well and, you know, thinking through those kinds of things. So it's, it's, it's different. It's brilliant. And you've explained that really well. And is Fiona here this morning? Have we got a hand? Is she around She's about? a little bit late. She's a little bit late, but she's going to be coming because Malia, the other godfather, we did that a few weeks ago. And uh, to have the two of them connected here today would be great as well. Welcome back. Thank you. And uh, lovely that we could intersect with you yep. in your time here in Australia. And I'll just hand things over to you. Thank you. Well, thanks, Troy. Um, it's good to be here um, and great to see a number of faces that we um, haven't connected with for a while. It's, it's weird when you travel. Um, you know, somebody said to me in the hallway, where do you call home? And I, I call home wherever I am, really. So, um, but the world is kind of home. So you go to different places and connect with different people, and it's great. But um, it's good to sort of feel to come back to where you are, you're from and the famili familiarity. It's interesting also what you, what you um, notice. The one thing I've noticed the most is graffiti, and I really love graffiti. Um, but in the US where we live, there is no graffiti. It's very, very protected and perfect. 
I'll talk more about that soon. Um, so, travelling around the world, many of you, I don't know if you're like me, um, would say probably the world's pretty messed up at the moment. I know for a little while we were kind of getting, we deal with emergencies and things going on and there was stuff going on in Ukraine, Malaysian Airlines, planes falling out of the sky, um, there's stuff going on in Iraq, Syria, um, there's people, kids dying in places where no one's even heard of, in places like Central Africa Republic and other things. And, and, and then there's things like um, we've got, had just amazing number of friends being hit with cancer, losing jobs, having miscarriages. It, it just felt, for a little while, the last little while, it's just felt really, really heavy in terms of what's going on in our world. Um, and it just seems, you know, everything from even Robin Williams dying, you know, is just, there's just so many things happening that just seem to shake at the world that we live in. And um, for a, a little while ago, I sat down and tried to start writing a list. And I wrote a list of all the things going, going wrong in our world. I don't know why I did that, but we were kind of trying to work out the seven horses of the apocalypse, um, what they were. It's just for fun. It was like me and another guy. Anyway. But um, you start sitting there and it can make you like go, what actually do you do? How do you deal with a world that is just seems so messed up? Um, and we start asking the question of, you know, we were travelling in a place called Honduras and then in El Salvador. And um, really, I'll tell you a little bit more about that, but it was really hard. We saw a situation that was just really, really, really tough. And I, we were sitting there in the back of a van just going, what can one person do? What could two people do? Or what could even a hundred people do to make this world a better place? So Donnie is a guy, we found out about this after the fact. We were running a photo contest. Um, and so we all of a sudden saw some of his photos and started asking a few questions and just said, these are great photos. Um, it was a photo contest about inequality. And we started to dig into this story and started finding out about what happened. I mean, this guy's a civil engineer. He literally missed the garbage truck. So he thought, I'll throw it in the back of my car and go, went to the, to the rubbish dump. And the rubbish dump there is not exactly um, a safe spot. We went there, we got to the gate and we got turned around um, because they wouldn't let us anywhere inside. It's just too dangerous. But he found these kids. He was just throwing his stuff out and he found these kids and he did something about it. And um, it wasn't something that where he went on a, um, you know, a course to have his life changed or he was on some special mission or adventure. He was just literally putting his garbage out. And what happened was he saw kids. He saw what was going on and he decided to do something about it. And when you met Donnie, he just was completely and utterly transformed. He wants to now um, start up a charity to look after kids and to really bring, use photography to bring... Um, you know, a, vi a visual to what's going on. And these kids have now been taken out. The, they were there um, working, and so they, the go local government's been trying to get them back into school, has put them into a shelter, and they're working through that. And Donnie wants to journey with those kids to actually make sure that they actually get well looked after. Um, but it's just one of those uh, stories where we saw this guy, and I just, I just kept thinking about how when, when Jesus would go places, he'd be interrupted, he would see something and he would just respond. All, all that the ministry was done as he walked places. And um, it wasn't done on a sort of always on a plan. It was on what happened on the side. And so I saw this as a really interesting story. In my, my job, I see stories, um, I see this kind of heartbreak every day. 
um, when we were in Honduras. Uh, at the moment, I don't know here um, how much you've heard about it, but in, in the US at the moment, it's a very big story. There's a lot of um, kids coming as kind of refugees or they, they call it unaccompanied minors. So they're kids that coming without parents into the US in big numbers. And they're coming from El Salvador, Honduras and Guatemala and they're fleeing on the whole incredibly violent places. The, pl- the town we were in in Honduras has the highest murder rate per capita of anywhere in the world. Um, higher than any of the, it, like, the wars that are going on or anything. It's, it's um, gang controlled and it's very difficult. And parents who are in poverty are stuck there and they're faced with incredibly difficult conversations, um, difficult thoughts. Um, often the dad's gone somewhere to go, try and get some money and so they're working and, and there's, there's mums with kids and they're being extorted if they show any sign of wealth. And kids are being killed and parents are then being forced to make the decision, what do we do? And like we sat with one mother and she said, that the, the line that stuck with me was, if I never see my kids again, I will be happy because I know they are safe. Because if they come back to me, the government sends them back from the US, they will die within two or three days because they were being threatened. So in these kind of spaces, it's, it's really um, challenging. And when I go back to the US, I then see it's not just in third world developing countries. Um, in the US, it's... The, the poverty is really bad. Um, there's people, the minimum wage in the US is like $3 in some states. It doesn't even cover the tax. So people are working. I know that our, a lot of our kids' school teachers, they, work, they go home at night and they work another job. Um, healthcare is really tough. And this poverty, it's, it's, it's really, really um, hard. And I, I mean, the reality is bad stuff happens in our world. We all know it. If you go around this room, you'll, you'll kind of, there'll be lots of stories of things that are happening. Um, you don't have to go to a place far away to see bad stuff happening. And what I suppose I'm not trying to do is make you freak out, feel horrible, get depressed on a Sunday morning. But rather, I want to challenge you. And I want to challenge you on two levels. I think there's a way that we can respond. And so the first level that I want to challenge you on is the way that you view the world. View the place that you're in, whatever that space is, wherever you're present. I want you to think about how can you ask God to help you see what's around you, to be able to see what is happening, just like Donnie did. He was going getting rubbish and he connected with this girl and he went over and asked what was going on. And that put him in harm's way. Donnie went back to take those photographs. He got beaten up and his camera stolen. After that, at the end of that story, we found out. And we're like, really? And, you know, he went back to help. He goes, oh, well, it's a camera. It just means I can't take any more photos. Somebody needed it. But it's, it's a perspective shift. And I think, you know, one of the things is God really wants to get into these spaces, some of these needs around, just like the chaplaincy and the sports club. God wants to get into these spaces. And God has a plan to transform them. And we have to be open to be able to see what God's plan is. So it's not about our plan. It's about what's God's plan for that space or that person or that individual you're meeting. And you have to go, am I open to see it? Or am I too busy to be able to see it? So, I mean, to me, it's pretty simple. God asks us to join him, um, not to fix it all at once. And to surrender to God in a way and his will in the world. And I've got a slide. This is actually a quote that a friend 
a girl who works for me, actually, and she was in um, Honduras with us, and she did a lot of the interviews, and they're in Spanish, and so she was really messed up. I was hearing everything through a translator, but she was, like, wearing the full load. And so she's been going through a few things, but um, I saw her put this out on Twitter the other day, and I was like, that is a really profound... Because I think sometimes we think we need to, you know, surrender to God, or and it's a word that's a bit weird, but, you know, it's like we need to give, give everything to God. But what it doesn't mean is that we relax um, and just let God do whatever he wants. It doesn't mean we just go and be comfortable. It actually is incredibly active. It's, it's an active state, which we say, okay, God, we, we want to participate in what you want to do. And that actually is really tiring, and it can get... Really, it's really life-giving, but it can be... It's not just leaning back. When I was in um, El Salvador, um, and we went to Honduras first, it was a really tough trip, probably one of the toughest trips I've ever done, and I was only there three days. It was like a really tough... And then we went to El Salvador, and we rocked into El Salvador, and we had another three days of interviews. And um, as I got there, I kind of went, oh, yeah, I remember this is a place where Oscar Romero's from, and I don't know whether anyone knows who Oscar Romero is, but Oscar Romero was, um, about the time I was born, so in the 70s, was, became the, the head of the Catholic Church in uh, El Salvador, of the cathedral in San Salvador. And at the time, there was a government that was very repressive, and he was actually quite conservative at the time, but through a whole range of things, actually became transformed into um, a bit of an advocate. He saw priests get killed and there was a lot of torture going on and repressive stuff in this place. And so um, I was reflecting, I got to visit his tomb, which is under the cathedral, and um, got to just sort of imagine exactly where this guy was. But he wrote this prayer, and I I might have used it here in NCR when I've spoken probably back in the years. Um, It's a prayer that kind of keeps coming back to me every time I get a little bit out of whack. Um, and, and it's a prayer that's really around the whole idea that we don't have to do everything. Um, and I think it starts to speak to some of the challenges we face to see our role in God's plan. The prayer's actually on here, and I'm going to read it through. But if you want to follow along, I've given it to you because I'm not going to spend ages going over it three times or whatever. I'm going to read it, and then I want you to take it somewhere and put it on a mirror or something and think about it later. So I'm just going to read it through. So it helps now and then to step back and take the long view. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it's even beyond our vision. We accomplish in our own lifetime only a tiny fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is God's work. Nothing we do is complete, which is a way of saying that the kingdom always lies beyond us. No statement says all that could be said No prayer fully expresses our faith. No confession brings perfection. No pastoral visit brings wholeness. No program accomplishes the church's mission. No set of goals or objectives includes everything. This is what we are about. We plant the seeds that one day will grow. We water seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that produces far beyond our capabilities. 
We cannot do everything, and there's a sense of liberation in realising that. This enables us to do something, and to do it very well. It may be incomplete, but it's a beginning, a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. We may never see the end result, but that's the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are the workers, not master builders, ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future, not our own. It's a, a really profound um, prayer. And the key to me that jumps out at me all the time when we see that how bad our world is messed up or what's going on around us or how big things seem is I just think about this. And I go, you know what? We don't actually have to do everything. It's not our... We are not called to actually fix the world. That's God's job. We're just called to actually join him, to be a part of it, to do our little bit, what's in front of us. Like Donnie, take some photos and share them on Facebook. We're not actually... We don't have to fix everything. And in, in, as an organisation that I work for, we try and fix a lot of things. And so... It's very easy to kind of go, well, did we do enough? Did it get right? What was the end outcome? And I think part of it is just to do this. You don't know. And I mean, yeah, I think there was something that Oscar realised in the situation that he was in. I mean, Oscar Romero was killed doing mass. He was shot by the government while he was standing presiding over communion in the cathedral. And so, you know, there's, that just shows the complexity of where he was. Um, but to me... It's really about God's plan. And what, when we think about what's God's plan, I think about there's a, a verse that is quite in my head all the time. And it's about, um, it's from John 10.10 10, and it talks about life in all its fullness. Um, and it's, it talks about that, that God says, I came so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. And I think this is kind of what God's overall big plan is. Like if I want to summarize it, I go, you know what? It's about life. And God came so that we could put people back in a relationship with each other, with him, and with this world. And so there's something about a better life. What does that look like? And it's not fixing everything. It's actually just being a part of that plan and doing what is in front of you. So we get a choice to either live into God's plan or not. We don't have to do anything. We get to choose to follow the way he taught us to live or not. You know, it's, it's, that's the choice. Can we join God or not? Um, in Acts, the, we read a, in the passage that Troy talked about, we, we read this kind of section, and I re, you know, it talks about they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, they, to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the wonders and signs performed by the apostles. That means the disciples. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. I think it's really important. It says every day. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together and were glad with sincere hearts. They praised God and enjoying the favour of all people, the Lord added to their number um, daily and those who were being saved. So we see people who join God's plan for the world and we see all these things that start to happen. And I think this is what happens. It's not what they did. They just kind of joined God's plan and then stuff started to happen because it was God's plan. 
So I think this is the challenge. We've got to view the world differently. That's, that's the first point. And how, given that challenge, as a, a family, we kind of have tried to do that. We left New Zealand. Um, we were quite challenged by that. This was about almost two years ago. And we, so we said, we're going to sell half our stuff. We want to downsize because we just don't want to be tied by the things that are here. We want to be more flexible. And it meant we came back to Australia with a, literally suitcases, lived in a, a little unit in Mitcham, um, and... Uh, you know, we didn't want things to be defined by just all our stuff. And it was, had its moments, um, but it was good. And it meant that we were able to, when we got our visa, just go to the US. Um, I think we got our visa and left in a week. So we arrived in, in the US. And then we've found ourselves in America, in a place where Karen describes as a combination of de- desperate housewives crossed with Pleasantville, crossed with the Stepford Wives. And we can't quite work out why we got there. So we look at each other every day and we go, how did this happen? Why did God... We've lived... I grew up you know, missionary kid. I've lived all over the world. I, I kind of don't really... It's not really where we thought we were going to end up. But for whatever reason, we've ended up there. And um, it's an environment that's really weird. It's a big bubble. So it's right near the global headquarters of Exxon Oil. And it literally feels like a bubble. It was a community that was built about 40 years ago to protect the people that live there from the outside. So from any bad advertising, anything bad. And it literally is like this kind of bubble. It doesn't have gates, but when you drive in, you do feel this kind of... um, as you go in, and we kind of say we're back in the bubble. Everything's beautiful and protected and controlled. Um, you go to the local high school and, you know, the parking lot is like all European cars. Kids can get their licence at 15. Our next-door neighbour got a brand-new Mercedes for his 15th birthday. Um, you see, like, kids driving people to sport in Bentleys and you're like, what, what is going on? So it's a really interesting place. Um, but we kind of always believe God puts us somewhere for a reason. And when we start, we never quite know what that is. But as time goes on... God shows us. And um, being kind of countercultural is something we've had a little bit of experience in. Um, and so when we look at each other, we kind of keep wondering, why are we here? And we talk to people in the community and we say we're Australian and they go, oh, so you must work in oil and gas because everyone there works in oil and gas, you know, and especially Australians. It's very diverse, but a lot of Australians there drilling, drilling the ground. And when I tell people what I do for a living, they look at me like, what? Um, they're quite stunned. The men are really interested and they go, they like really lean in and they're like, well, how does that work? You know, does you, do you get paid? Does that, like, what, what happens? And they're like fascinated and they're like, I'd love to do something that gave me a bit of a reason. And so I get all these kind of coaching sessions on people's careers and how you take a career path from accounting to development. And then they kind of expect I've got just jobs in my back pocket that I can just be throwing out. I'm like, so it's an interesting dynamic. Um, but what we've found is we spend a lot of time with our neighbours. It's all very structured neighbourhood, like Pleasantville. Um, but we have lots of people over in our house. And when we have them there, um, we're amazed by how little they know about the world. People are very sheltered. Our next-door neighbour actually said to us, I don't think a lot. And we went, really? That's great. <laughs> Let's help you think a bit. Um, but... So we've started sharing with them stuff that we do. We start sharing, they follow everything on Facebook and they get really interested. 
And they're like, oh, well, we, we can do something about that. Let's do something. And so there's been all these opportunities just thinking differently. They're very focused on the future, getting kids into university. We start talking about, well, you know, it's, we're not sure what that's going to be. So it, it's been a really interesting, but we've found ourselves in this, this unique space. Um, in how we live, we're, our kind of the second challenge is about being more deliberate about how we live. Um, as a couple, we've, we've basically made the decision to start seeing life as a series of days. We, we used to think very much about the future. As we, when we got married, my wife's view of the world was we have to build a house before we can actually get married because you have to move from living at home into the house. And so we did that. I don't know how, but we managed to do it. But we've started to go, you know what? It's not actually just about, you know, always living for the future. We started to say, what's the norm? We don't really want to just live in the norm. And so as much as we can at the moment, we're trying to be deliberate in saying, how do we live day by day? We want to create moments that encourage fellowship and relationship, create memories now, not tomorrow. So it's a, it's a real active mindset, but we've started to try and really intentionally over the last year let go of worrying about the future, let go of saying, we don't own a house, um, going, you know what, maybe we'll never own a house. Does that really matter? As we've seen people lose their jobs, we've seen people get cancer, we've seen planes drop out of the sky, we start going, you know what, there's a lot of work that goes into planning for retirement, and then I've seen people that retire and they can't do anything because something happens or... And so we've changed our, our view. So what we've done is, is really tried to say, how can we teach our kids that what they do today, what choices they make today, what relationships um, they have today, what they do to love God today, is more important than anything they can plan for tomorrow. And we started to really break it down and say, you know what, this is kind of, on, to be honest, it's kind of countercultural in the space we're in. Um, and... It's not necessarily for everyone, but what we've done is said, let's have a go at it. It's incredibly exhausting at times because you've got to be very active. You've got to choose and say each day, are we freaking out about something that matters or are we thinking about where we're at? And so we've been kind of doing this kind of motto of saying yes more, saying no less, so when the kids say, let's do something crazy, we go and say yes. If somebody says, can you come over for dinner? We go, yep, we'll do it, even though we're exhausted. And I, when I travel, I tend to get the exhausted bit. Karen's like, yeah, let's do it, yeah. I'm like, but we sort of go, let's see where God enables us to show up. And we've had friends that have had incredibly difficult burdens just sharing them with us instantly, and we're able to talk to them and share with them in, in new ways. So from living this way, it's given us a chance... Um, to really minister in a new way to the community that we're in and to see the world differently. Um, but we've got, I've got four kids. The eldest is 12, the youngest is six. It keeps you busy. Um, you do think about the future at times and you still you go, are we making the right decision here? But we kind of say, no, let's lean in. Let's do it. You want to provide well. You want to give your kids the opportunities. You know, our, our eldest son... I won't overshare too much, but he's at um, junior high, which is like year seven, but they have PE and they have to have showers. And so like he was talking to me about designer underwear because all the kids wear designer underwear. And I'm like, are you really, are you kidding me? Like you have, but you kind of want to help your kid, but you're kind of not sure. And 
So, but you know, this whole kind of game that most people are programmed in about saying we just go around the board every day, you know, keep going around the board and buying more stuff, buying more stuff, that's what it's all about. We're trying to say, no, we're not going to do that. We have more holidays than we've ever had. Our neighbours look at us and go, how are you doing that? And we go, well, we make choices. We just decide to do more. Um, And so, to me, I think one of the challenges that we had to break through in this was breaking through the idea that we could choose to live differently because we felt we didn't have that ability. And there's a slide here. Has anyone read The Alchemist? Paul Coelho. It's a beautiful book. He's a beautiful author, um, Brazilian guy, lives in Rio, and he's written a, a number of books. Well, one book, he tells fables about life. And um, in this he says, what's the world's greatest lie? And it's a story of a boy who goes on an adventure And the boy asked, completely surprised, it's this, said the mysterious king, that at a certain point in our lives, we lose control of what's happening to us and our lives become governed by fate. That is the world's greatest lie. And so I just, that's something we've realised that, you know what? We are actually in charge of our lives. We can choose to live into God's mission. We can choose to take day by day. We can choose to see what's in front of us and we can choose to live differently. We don't have to live this lie that says you've got to go that way and once you set on that course, it's too hard to change. Yes, there is things that happen in life that make life harder to shift and as time goes on, it becomes harder and harder and with four kids, it, it's really hard. There's things, you know, if it was just us as a couple, it would be very different. But that's, that's life. And so, you know, we... We see lots of our friends that, that are locked into this. Their, their marriages get in trouble. Their kids' relationships with their kids get in trouble. They self-medicate every night by just watching television all night. They get tired. They then go, and it just becomes a cycle. And they feel like they can't change it. And what we try and do is say, well, you can. It's your life. You can choose. Tomorrow you can do something different. And you don't have to plan it for the future for, to finish if, like down there. You can just plan to do something different for the next day and then the next day and then the next day. And slowly God will give you that energy to be able to make a big change. So I think, you know, it's asking God about what, what it takes to have a full life, to be present, to show up more, to be deliberate. And so our big question is, you know, thinking about how do we rock up more? How do we be present? And, you know, phones are the... Like, it's hilarious. Phones are the biggest challenge. You know, we all sit there like this, talking with our friends. We, we take photos of it, and we just think it's hilarious. And we've done that for a long time, being completely not present. But be present. Be deliberate. You can't see what's going on if you're looking down at a screen. You can't even see the person next to you. So, you know, it's things like that that really just start to shift. And so, you know, we, we've had big plans for life. And um, in thinking through them, you know, we realise that if you don't, um, create the life you want, the create the life that you think God wants, um, and you don't do it, it's, you're never going to get it. You're just going to go to end, end your life dreaming of what could have been. And so we've kind of decided to surrender to God and really try and move forward in that. So I'll leave you with two points um, that I just really want you to think on. I want you to change the way you view the world. Be present and see people around you. Leave your phone at home. Put it in a bag. Be present and walk and, and see the people that are around you today. 
Go down to, if you go to Eastland or whatever, look at people in the eyes. Make them feel uncomfortable. I went running yesterday, and the amount of people that don't say hello in this city is alarming. They just, like, keep running. And I'm like, hey, how's it going? And they're like... (laughs) But then they probably might do it to the next person. You know, like, change the concept. Think of Donnie, okay? Think of Donnie and what he did. This card, take it as a reminder of that image. This is an image of a kid sitting in a rubbish dump. He could have quite easily just walked away, but he didn't. And also I want you to, just the second challenge, is to remember that today is life. Your life is the day that you're in. It's not just the future. That this, this one day that you live in, you need to live it and you need to live it well. Think of it as your only day. What would you do? How would you live? And be present in that. So thanks for letting me share. Um, I'm going to welcome the band up and they're going to share with us a a small uh, reflection. Um, But I encourage you to take this, be present and uh, really see your life as a series of days. Thank you.